That music is an invitation, an invitation to sit up and join me as we look into God's Word. This isn't your parents' Bible study or some pre-printed material from your denomination. Each episode, we tear into God's letter to humanity to see what would God have us know about Himself, about the world around us, and about ourselves. I am Brother Mitchell from the Discipleship Center, and you are listening to the TDC Podcast. Paul goes on now to compare the true faith versus the marks of a false convert who is holding on to a false faith. This was important because here within the first few decades of the church, we are already seeing false converts and supplanters causing confusion and havoc in the local church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now why is Paul writing this letter? Remember that Timothy is Paul's disciple, and Paul, by necessity for himself, for the church, and for Timothy, has to send Timothy to a difficult church to minister to it. This was a faith tester because the church needed some correction, and there were already some problem makers in the assembly, and Timothy was a new pastor and a young pastor. What do we believe, or what is our faith in? There was good reason for Paul to be worried about this church, in that they were being led astray from the true gospel. There were new, heretical doctrines creeping up everywhere. I would challenge anyone to study early church history. Robert Godfrey, a teacher on staff with Legionnaire Ministries, has a survey of church history that I'm thoroughly enjoying, but beware, it's 73 sessions, which are roughly 25 minutes apiece. I find it fascinating how early church language was developed to express our faith. The developing and securing of systematic doctrine to teach what the true faith is, as well as how the original languages were brought into the Latin language. I also find it fascinating how some who were steeped in mysticism or pagan beliefs tried to integrate their thinking into our faith. And we see the battles over doctrines fought in the synods and church councils. My favorite church history narrative is about St. Nicholas. You know, the early church father that we base our modern-day Santa Claus on. 
St. Nicholas was at the Council of Nicaea, and he was a fierce opponent of Arianism. Remember that Arianism was a school of thought from Arius that taught that Jesus was begotten of the Father in that Jesus was a created being, not one with the Father or eternal. St. Nicholas was a Trinitarian who believed in hypostasis, or that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-eternal and co-substantial, or as we describe it, God is one God with three distinct and divine persons. As the debate raged on, St. Nicholas jumps into the fray and starts to beat one of the proponents of Arianism and probably would have killed him if not for the intervention of Emperor Constantine and others in that council. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas indeed. Here's another free side note for your Bible trivia. We use the word pagan to describe those who are outside the faith or who practice an anti-Christian faith. The word pagan refers to the countryside because the church was originally centered in the cities where it could reach the most people and be at the crossroads of society. The gospel spread to the countryside much slower, and it was here that the anti-Christian religions continued to be practiced. Think about all the scary childhood stories or modern horror stories. Where does the wicked witch live? In Congress, right? No, no, no. Deep in the deep dark forest. Pagan. Back to our text. What we see here is an early church creed. A creed is a saying that expresses a biblical truth. One of the more popular creeds that is still in use today is the Apostles' Creed. But there were many creeds throughout church history. Let's look at the Apostle Creed for just a second. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is a common creed. As a Baptist, we tend to shy away from anything like creeds or catechisms, lest we be associated with anything that's Catholic. This is sad because the Church of Rome has hijacked the word Catholic from us. The word Catholic means universal. Now, we would affirm that we are part of the universal church, but that we do not hold to the incorrect teachings of the Church of Rome, specifically that the Pope's word gives authority to the Bible or that his word is equal with the Bible or the traditions set by them have equal authority to the Bible. Now, in my previous story about St. Nicholas, there was developed the Nicene Creed, which affirmed Trinitarianism. That was a hot topic of the day, whether Jesus was co-substantial with God or not. The Nicene Creed says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Did you know that there are still some assemblies who do not affirm Trinitarianism? Some churches do not believe in the Holy Spirit as anything other than God the Father's influence over us. Some believe that Jesus was created to give God the Father a medium in which to convey his plan directly to us. Creeds were an easy way to teach a doctrinal truth and were often used in the same way we would use a church doctrinal statement that you would have to agree with before becoming a member. Now, when are the later times? I love it when someone asks me, when are the later times? Or when are the end times? It's like they're waiting for some creepy music to start playing, and I'm about to open some ancient lost scroll with some deep hidden message. And then, of course, I deflate their biblically illiterate balloon and tell them that the later times started when Jesus' ministry began. On the timetable that God has laid out for mankind, Paul was living in the end times. We are living in the end times, albeit closer to the end of the end than Paul was. Now, how could you depart from the faith? Departing from the faith is not a loss of salvation. We affirm the perseverance of the saints in Reformed theology, or as we describe it, once saved, always saved. But let's talk about salvation real quick. There are three parts of salvation which are inextricably linked. Number one, We have justification or positional salvation. At one time you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Number two, sanctification or the transforming of condition. As you follow Jesus, you start to become more like him. Not sinless, but sinning less. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And number three, glorification, or when your condition matches your position. When we die or we're taken in the rapture, we will immediately have our sin nature removed. Romans eight twenty-eight through 39, part of it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, He also glorified. The problem is when we try to make a new doctrine that says, I can be justified without repentance, 
or I can be justified and never follow Jesus, or that I can be justified and lazily sit around waiting for my glorification. You see, there's no real justification if there's no sanctification, and there can be no expectation for glorification without the natural progression of justification and sanctification. Now, for a neo-Baptist that doesn't know how our denomination was formed or what we had traditionally believed, this is your time to faint. Because the Bible has no room for someone who claims a one-time justification and salvation for all eternity type faith that is devoid of following Jesus and having a progressing sanctification. Hebrews 6, 4-6 describes this state of the person who falsely claims faith and then abandons it. It says, It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. We're not talking about losing salvation here. We're talking about someone who has the clear teaching of the gospel. They understand it. They want the benefits from it. But then, for whatever reason, they decide to jump ship and leave the faith behind. This is not a carnal Christian. This is not a backslider. This is an unregenerate heathen who is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And his work on the cross paid the penalty for their sin. They dabbled with it and then said, No, thank you, Jesus. Your plan for reconciliation and peace is not for me. This is the exact opposite of what we're talking about when we refer to the perseverance of the saints or the continuing faith of those who truly believe. So, the teaching of demons and liars. Now, listen carefully to this statement. You do not impress God with your asceticism or denying yourself earthly pleasure within the context that God has designed. Let me tell you what impresses God. John chapter 6, starting in verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The only thing that gets God's attention in any positive manner is when we believe in Jesus. You can play ring around the rosy all day long. You can stop eating red meat. You can stop eating altogether. You can ignore the natural impulses to get married and have intimate relations with your spouse. You can leave society and live a monastic life of solitude in the desert, and God will sit by and watch impassively, unless you believe in Jesus as your only means to cleanse yourself from sin. It is not a sin to enjoy the simple pleasures of this life. It's only a sin when you enjoy these things outside of the conditions that God has provided for us. When our desire for self-pleasure exceeds what God has allowed, or when we try to make people, things, or experiences supply our joy instead of God, then we're in sin. The doctrine of demons and liars is in both extremes of either denying the pleasures that God has gifted us with, or overindulging outside of the confines that God has established in these wonderful pleasures that God has given us. The question is, to what end are these doctrines of demons and liars taught? The insidiousness 
is that they try and take our focus off of God and put it back on ourselves. Look at me, I'm so holy that I don't enjoy life anymore. Or, God will understand, so now I presume on God's grace and will live in an unruly life devoted to my own pleasure, and I will find my joy outside of my fellowship with God. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy on how God wants the church to function, decently and orderly. Paul wants Timothy to teach and remind the church of what our true confession of faith actually is. Paul is warning that we will see people walk away from our faith because they have rejected the truth and have bought into a lie. And finally, we don't impress God by denying ourselves the pleasures he has afforded us, and we should enjoy them within the context that he provides and be thankful for them. The Discipleship Center and its subsidiaries, TDC Aquaponics and TDC Farm, are a registered 501c3 charity serving in the not-so-beautiful city of Kankakee and its surroundings. Have you or a loved one been struggling with substance abuse, chronic unemployment, need some work experience after a recent incarceration, or just failed to move on to a more productive phase of life? There is hope just around the corner with the Discipleship Center where every life matters and we strive to fulfill the Great Commission one life at a time. Check us out on the web at www.discipleshipctr.org today.